1: I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host Carol Zurniel, a nationally known gerontologist, a graduate of Trinity University and the University of of the Incarnate Word, where she earned her master's in social gerontology. Carol is well known across this country for her work with seniors. She also was the genius behind the senior centers here in San Antonio that provides uh, when COVID-19 is not here. A tremendous social and uh, recreational and educational opportunity for seniors Uh, that uh, fills that need uh, that many have in their lives for spending time together. And, Carol, I think that's probably uh, one of the saddest parts of all. We uh, talked with a uh, caregiver the other day whose dad uh, frequents the uh, Doris Griffin Senior Center. He wants it open. He misses it.
2: Well, you know, the social interaction is so important, and, you know, we we distribute, drive my meals where we used to all sit down together and have lunch at our centers. And, you know, the people have to drive slowly, right? Because they, they want right. to have a conversation with the staff. Um, they want to yell in the parking, across the parking lot to the other members. They just don't get a chance uh, to socialize like they used to.
1: Well, when you think about that and, and, and that work that's done there, it fits right into what we're going to be talking about uh, this half hour with Erica Solway. Uh, Dr. Solway has a master's in social work, a master's in public health, in addition to her PhD, associate director, national poll on Healthy Aging Institute for Healthcare Policy and Innovation at the University of Michigan. As a graduate of the Ohio State University master's program, we refer to that as the school up north. But we won't spend time ragging on Michigan. We're going to talk about the great work that Erica and her team are able to do. The National Poll on Healthy Aging, and what you have found, Erica, uh, is something that uh, certainly people who work in that field are quite aware of, but the general public probably is not. And that is feelings of loneliness and how they affect older adults, especially now during this pandemic.
3: Yes that's that's right. Um, we conducted a poll so at the University of Michigan National Poll on Healthy Aging we conduct two to three polls per year on a variety of healthy aging topics. Um, the National Poll on Healthy Aging has been around since 2017 so in the past 3 years we've uh, we've uh, released about 25 reports on different topics but our most recent report which was released yesterday focused on loneliness before and during the COVID-19 pandemic. And we were able to look back at a poll that we conducted back in 2018 where we asked respondents, our our respondents um, represent a nationally representative sample of adults age 50 to 80, and we asked them about their feelings of lack of companionship, feelings uh, of isolation, and how often they uh, have contact with other people from outside their home. And we were able to compare those results to this new um, this new poll that we asked about of a different sample, um, looking at, you know, how much has this changed in the early months of the pandemic. So, again, our poll was conducted in June of 2020, and we were asking people from March through June, you know, how were you feeling about your... Um, your level of companionship, your uh, level of isolation, and your contacts with others. And we found, which probably won't come as a surprise to your listeners, that there was a marked increase in feelings of loneliness among older adults. Um, So we found that from in in 2020, 41% of adults age 50 to 80 said that they felt a lack of companionship, and that's compared to 34% in October 2018. Um, among for among those 50 to 80, 56 percent, so over half, felt isolated from others, and that's compared to 27 percent in October 28, so a doubling of feelings of isolation. And then we asked people about their, um, their social contacts, and we found that 46 um, percent of older adults in 2020 reported having infrequent social contact, which we defined as contact with people outside their home once a week or less, and that's compared to 28% in 2018. So again, a huge jump in these indicators of loneliness among older people. And we were concerned back in 2018 that these numbers were extraordinarily high, and to see this increase over less
1: than two years is really concerning. I know Carol wants to jump in.
2: So, you know, I'm thinking back to 2018 and, and about that time was when it became a little more common knowledge or, or it seeped into our consciousness that loneliness was the new smoking, that, you know, this, this social isolation was a, so, it was so uh, detrimental to health and well-being that it became kind of a rallying cry and, and they have a minister of loneliness. And so to hear statistics that we're doubly worse off than we were at that point uh, when we all were raising the flag saying, this is a huge issue that must be addressed immediately. It's, it, you know, I, I, I can feel, um, you know, the earth, I feel myself reacting to that with a little bit of panic.
3: Yes, me too. It, it, it's really concerning. And we, we did look a little bit, too, at um, what um, the people who identified as caregivers um, so we asked people in this survey if they were a caregiver for someone either living in their home or outside their home. And we found that um, between 15 and 16% of people identified as caring for an adult. Um, and those people were more likely, so caregivers were more likely than non-caregivers, to report feeling a lack of companionship. Um, and again, that probably doesn't come as a surprise to to many of those who are who are listening to, you know, to this program, but we found that um, 48% of caregivers felt, they felt a lack of companionship compared to 40% of non-caregivers. So this is an issue that hits people differently, you know, that there are some people who may be at higher risk for feelings of loneliness. But, of course, the circumstances today with the pandemic and the need to remain physically distant from people we care about is something that, you know, it presents challenges for, for many, if not most people.
1: Now, she's Dr. Eric Soloway. I'm Ron Aaron. Carol Zorniel, our co-host, is with us. If you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 a.m., the answer talking about national surveys done in the area of health and aging at the University of Michigan, the Healthy Aging Institute. And we're talking about their latest surveys that uh, conclude based on uh, talking to folks across this country in the wake of COVID-19 uh, the flip side to this, Erica, is that while loneliness is awful, it does lead to incredible increases in medical problems as well. Does it not?
3: That's true. I'm, um, chronic loneliness, as Carol has said, you know, even year, you know, even a couple of years ago, we were talking about this as you know, this um, could be as um, threatening to one's health as things like smoking or other things that we know are very, very bad. Um, And and studies have shown connections not just to mental and physical health, but also to life expectancy. So it's something we need to take very seriously. Um, We also, you know, we also looked at, um, we asked folks how often they engaged in different types of health behaviors and found that those people who were engaging in regular um, health behaviors such as Um, getting enough sleep and getting exercise on a regular basis, we're less likely to feel lonely. So not only is there this connection between loneliness and one's health overall, but also that there potentially there's some things we can be doing that might be promoting our mental and physical health that may also be potentially addressing feelings of loneliness. So um, it's important to think about that as a potential solution for people who may be experiencing loneliness themselves. What or, are some of the- um, or you know what caregivers might do to support uh, uh, those they care for um, in trying to decrease feelings of loneliness?
1: What are some of the things that we might do?
3: Well, so you know, again, um, encouraging health behaviors, getting enough sleep, um, getting uh, exercise eating a healthy diet could, could be somewhat helpful. We also found that older adults who interacted with people in their neighborhood or spent time outdoors at least a few times per week were less likely to feel lonely than those who did not. So, uh, obviously, we need to maintain, um, you know, safe distance, you know, wearing masks is important. All of the things that we know from a public health perspective are critical to uh, reducing the risk for COVID-19. All of those things are, are still very much true. But finding ways to safely interact with other people um, is really important. And, you know, whether that means being outdoors, uh, using virtual connections, picking up the telephone or using um you know, Zoom or FaceTime or one of the other video chat type options that might be available. Um, that's really important. You know, the 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 thing that we saw related to you know spending time outdoors, feeling less lonely. I can you know one can hypothesize that not only is being in nature potentially kind of open up one's world and gives you a new scenery and appreciation for those things around you, but the opportunities that you might have when outside the home to you know find yourself up with other people, you know, a quick hello from across um, a park or, you know, a hello to your neighbor as you're as you're walking out your front door. Something like that can have a really big impact as well. So, finding opportunities for safe uh, connections with others is, is really critical. And that may mean, you know, obviously, so, you know, senior centers are closed. A lot of the places that people typically went for interaction may not be available to them these days. So, finding other ways to can act even in even in small chunks of time could be very very important
1: and, and in an odd way even uh, your medical clinic uh, was a social setting for a lot of folks and now uh, many folks uh, aren't even allowed in they're, they're, they're doing curbside treatment you, you get a curbside hamburger down the road and then curbside medical treatment up the road at your clinic so that venue is also for many folks no longer available to them and when you mention uh, zoom and A lot of these uh, uh, FaceTime kinds of platforms uh, for seniors who have grandkids, many of them have already been using those, uh, but for others, it's a brand new world.
3: That's right. It does take some getting used to, and we found actually that the use of video chat and social media is somewhat a a double-edged sword. We didn't find that um, it had, uh, um, um, you know, um, those who used it and did not appear to have different rates of... um, Feelings of lack of companionship, and actually found that people who use social media felt more isolated than those who did not. So they're not necessarily a quick fix for addressing feelings of loneliness, but for some people, you know um having the opportunity to see someone you love face to face through something like video chat especially if assisted by someone for the first time you know not only will you gain confidence in being able to use that technology um, but i think you know i think for many people it, it really opens their world to the possibility of not you know not having that contact would be would be so uh, detrimental for them it is it is a good option when other options may be more limited.
1: Now, hold that thought. We're going to come right back to Erica, and uh, Carol's journal is going to kick it off in a moment. I'm Ron Aaron. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. The WellMed Charitable Foundation would like to remind you it is important to stay connected while social distancing Caregiver stress may be higher now, and specialists are available to talk with. There's no question that we are living in not-normal times, but whether the new normal will be the old normal is yet to be seen. So if you are troubled, if you are feeling stressed, ask for help. Services are provided at no cost. See more at caregiversos.org. Well, I'm assuming it was a cat emergency of some sort. We'll get the details in a moment. I'm Ron Aaron. You're listening to Caregiver SOS On Air. Carol Zerniel, our co-host, is with us, and we're talking on our Caregiver SOS On Air hotline with Erica Solway. Uh, Dr. Solway at the University of Michigan, involved very much in national polling on healthy aging issues and loneliness. And, uh, Carol, I looked over, and all of a sudden, you were chasing what I thought was a cat in a curtain. What happened? Looking at you on FaceTime. Well, you know,
2: one of the one of the joys of working at home is um, you can intervene when your cat mm. is having a fight with another cat.
1: Ah, and you broke it up. Did you get bitten? Breaking up a cat fight is dangerous. Uh,
2: every, yeah, a real cat. Yeah. Yeah, a, re, a real one. So you right. want to get in the middle of it anyway. Um, happy to be back. Sorry about well, that. Well, good.
1: Now I'm going to hand it to you to talk to Erica.
2: But, you know, um, I did want to... Yeah, I wanted to ask a qu- you know what I noticed, Erica, in, in your reporting out is you know we we do hear from several sources, including your survey, that social media is not the answer. That social media increases isolation, which seems so counterintuitive to I'm sure a lot of people.
3: You know, I, I think so, and I you know I one of the things to consider um, is the timing of this poll. So we were asking people in June. Of their feelings from March through June 2020, and one of the interesting things about that time is how different states and localities were managing the pandemic. Um, and I am wondering whether, to some extent, you know, there is this, this this experience of a fear of missing out or seeing people who are able to be. You know, continuing with life in a more typical fashion that you might be seeing through social media that may be very different for people in other circumstances or in different parts of the country. And so I'm, I would be curious to know whether that finding still stands at in other times, but it, it is true that, I, you know, I think that some people get a lot out of that form of connection. For some people, any form of connection can be really powerful. But for others, you know, it takes more to replace the face-to-face interaction that they that they really feel comfortable with. And so, I think it's just important to recognize that it's not certainly not the um, be-all and end-all solution for for many people, but may serve an important role for some. I know caregivers well, and, 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 and what caregivers I'm more support and more often, through, through groups online, for example. And that, you know, that may be something that's really critical to their well-being.
1: Now, as you take a look at uh, the folks that you would talked to, and we're trying to solve a little technical issue at Carol's end here, her microphone has dropped out. We'll see if she's back. You want to try it again?
2: Yeah, uh, yes, sorry. You know, what I um, have been hearing more and more recently is people are missing that physical touch, right? So the social media is not going to take the place of in-person. Um, and even in person, not being able to give those hugs uh, to the people that you want to be close to, people are missing that.
3: Mhm, mhm. It, it's, it's really true. And it's one of, I mean, there's so many losses that have come from this experience for, you know, for many people, and that's one of them, um, that physical connection that, um, you know, that, in today's circumstances, feels um, you know, like it could be considered unsafe for some people. And, and um, it, it, it's, it's, it's hard to replace that.
1: It's hard to replace no handshakes. It's hard to replace exactly. standing closer than six feet away from somebody. All of those mm-hmm. changes were the old normal. And there are many who are saying uh, that'll never be back. The, the old normal will not be the new normal. And as you take a look at the kinds of things folks are telling you when you uh, uh, undertake these surveys, uh, do you get a sense of how they're adjusting uh, to this new world?
3: Yeah, so we're starting to get a bit of a sense. Our our last report, um, which we released last month in, in August, um, looked at telehealth use among older adults, and similarly, we had we had. Done a poll on telehealth, uh, just a year before and found that very few older adults reported having telehealth visits with their healthcare providers. And of course, within the early months of the pandemic and in the spring, many people found themselves having telehealth visits as a replacement for in-person visits or in addition to their in-person visits. So that's one thing that we've been exploring to what extent The pandemic is changing the way people receive their health care and communicate with their health care providers. So that's been in some ways um, a very positive thing that many people, many older adults from just a year before were reporting that they had, you know, uh, concerns about using telehealth. And for many people who had the experience of having a telehealth visit, those concerns uh, were removed or, or reduced, um, so that's been very interesting. And we, you know, we, the terrific thing about this poll is that we can be quite nimble. We can focus on new topics as they emerge, and so we're really looking forward to using the National Poll on Healthy Aging to gauge older adult perspectives and experiences moving forward through this challenging time.
2: Well, I think it's great that you know you are getting the most recent thinking around telehealth. I know that um, our partner WellMed on the clinic side has really galvanized around using telehealth, lots of visits, and I think you know it's, it's so important that people, I, I just have to say it, it's so important for people to manage their chronic conditions. COVID or no COVID, um, and finding a mechanism that makes you feel safe, whether it's going in a clinic, a drive up experience, or a telehealth experience with a physician, managing your your heart disease, your diabetes, your chronic lung disease, all those needs to continue. Um, Otherwise, people, we find that people are dying of chronic conditions and they don't need to because they're afraid of the COVID.
3: Right, that's, that's very, very true. Um, Carol, that's an excellent point. And I, I should note that we have a national poll on healthy aging report that we did in 2017, so now a couple years old, but we looked specifically at dementia caregivers and some of their experiences. And what we found is that, um, th- that there were, you know, a good percentage of caregivers who were delaying things related to their own care because of their caregiving responsibilities. And so I just, do want to reiterate your point and say it's really important for caregivers themselves to be taking care of their own health and well-being, um, because otherwise you're not going to be able to provide the care that's needed, um, you know, by those you care for. So. Um, it's a really excellent point and something that, um, you know, people need to, again, to be taking very seriously.
1: That change is not only in the medical community. I have a very good friend, Amber uh, Liddell-Always, who's a family practice lawyer who is now using uh, Zoom conferences uh, to deal with clients, to deal with uh, opposing counsel, uh, to handle court cases. And she has said, and this is interesting, her clients love it. They don't have to get in a car, drive downtown, get all dressed up to go to a lawyer's office. They can get in front of their uh, a computer and put on a top, and they don't even need a bottom on, and they conduct business uh, without a problem. Uh, and Amber's finding that more and more of their clients are saying that, uh, which is an easy adjustment in, in order to deal with that situation. That's right.
3: The accessibility of some of the things that we, you know, used to have to jump through a lot of hoops. And I think about, you know, caregivers who might not be able to leave the person they care for for any extended period of time uh, due to the person's needs. Um, You know, having this, you know, virtual options to connect with a variety of services may be, you know, really life-changing for them. Um, And and even for those of us who, you know, don't have those barriers and yet still find, you you know, that there is a silver lining in this in terms of the accessibility of, of some of the things that, um, you know, we rely on, but but typically had several barriers to getting them.
2: What I like about, you know, the, the survey process is it gives us a chance to ask and raise the question and think about, um, you know, what we're talking about, maybe improved access to services, but what's the impact uh, in terms of how the person feels? Maybe it's an acceptable, but it's not going to replace overall that human interaction. And I know we're starting to have discussions with that since our centers are closed. We see caregivers remotely mm-hmm. and, and thinking about other ways that we can have interaction such as one-on-one. You know, it's like the, the teachers where the teacher drops by and sees the student in the driveway. Uh, those one-on-one visits with a caregiver in a driveway um, or in a yard every once in a while so that we do maintain that element of face, not maybe face mask to face mask uh, communication. We actually
1: had that. I have three little kids, uh, Erica, and uh, they're in second grade and third grade, and their teachers at the beginning of this semester were homeschooling virtual, but their teachers came by to say hi to them, and the kids were thrilled to see them. So, uh, that does add a little bit of that mask to mask uh, meeting that uh, adds a little of the personal it's not the same as being in the classroom not the same as day-to-day personal contact uh, with a teacher but it was beneficial
3: mm-hmm. yep that's a great, a great idea mixing up um, the ways that we communicate I think is is, um, is one potential solution to this um, I know there's obviously there's a genuineness that you can feel in your connection when you have that face-to-face interaction, even with masks on, right. um, and then that can potentially carry forward to your virtual connections um, in between those face-to-face opportunities.
1: And we've participated in a few birthday parties, which were drive-by. So you, you drove by, you tossed a gift, you waved, and you went on. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, the kid in the driveway was just as happy to get the gift. Mm-hmm. That's great. Now, as you build uh, your surveys, how far ahead are you building questions uh, into your survey so that uh, you stay as current as you apparently are?
3: Well, that's you know that's the trick and, and the balance. So, we, um, we again, we do these surveys about two times a year, um, and so we conduct our last one in June, and we'll be releasing reports based on those data for the next several months. And then we'll be doing our next survey probably very early in 2021. So it gives us an opportunity. Obviously, there's a lot that's unknown about the coming months, you know, what will happen through... Uh, the fall and the winter and the course of the pandemic, and so it gives us a little bit of chance to see how things are going, to think about what other topics uh, may be, uh, you know, most uh, top of mind for people. What we really appreciate about this opportunity to conduct the National Poll on Healthy Aging is that it really allows us to tap into the perspectives and experiences of older adults themselves to inform the public and policymakers and. Healthcare providers about older adults' experiences. So we tend to look for topics. You know, where is there a lot of attention, but we don't really know what older adults themselves are experiencing. Well, we are. Um, and
1: Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, so, and so we
3: try and, we try and gauge that, um, you know, through as many sources as possible.
1: We're about out of time, and I want to thank you so much for spending it with us. I see in your background you spent some time working on Capitol Hill as well, and I, I know that uh, members' offices and member of the committee's uh, would just devour the kind of uh, survey information that you all provide. So thanks for the work you're doing, and let's talk again.
3: Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity.
1: Bye-bye. Dr. Erica Solway at uh, the University of Michigan, and uh, we appreciate her time. That was fascinating. and uh,
2: Absolutely. That was great. So important. That work is so important. You think a survey, and we foo-foo it, and you realize it can be life-changing in terms of knowledge.
1: Well, guess what? We're out of time. Carol Zerniel, thank you. I'm Ron Aaron. We appreciate you listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer.